listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome back. Great to be with you in this bizarre medium of cyber. Do they still call it cyberspace, John? You know, I hear it once in a while people call it that. I remember thinking that was like a cool concept, you know, cyberspace. But right. I just but think it's, it's, I think it's become so normal now and such a big part of our everyday lives. It's like space. Uh, it sounds weird to call it yeah. any kind of space. Yeah. yeah. It just is. It just um, is. That's weird. And well, John, obviously, you know, welcome to you too. And welcome to you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad to be doing this Q&A show. And I, I just want to say up front that it needs to not devolve into a, a, you know, a deep personal disquietation on my insecurities, like like last time. Is that what happened last time? <laughs> yeah, whatever whatever that was. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I've gotten some interesting feedback. Um, you know, people are like, are you okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. No, I like that show, actually. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, okay. So, here we are. And, and, if, and since you're here, that is a signal to our faithful listeners, those that know the show, that there's going to be a question. That's right. And it's a good one. Right. But before you get to your question, okay, before you get to it, mm-hmm. I got to tell you, um, I, I went on Patreon that where, where the people who support the show support the show. Mm-hmm. And every now and then, and we need to do it more often, we, we post some bonus content for the supporters. Right. And, and in December, you posted the, this, this conversation that I had with Roman over Thanksgiving. Yeah, and it turns out it was an excerpt of a longer conversation, which I didn't realize at the time, but that's what I but that's what Roman sent me. And uh I loved it. Yeah. So he posted it on Patreon, I think in the middle of Dece- December or something like that. Right. And so it, it when when in looking back, what I realized is not only had our Patreon people listened to it, but a number of them had written really thoughtful, um, kind of deep replies, like responses to it. Um and I just thought that it, that made me feel really good um, because it, what it meant was that somehow that particular piece of content had been of value to them. And I, I just have to tell you, like, as, the, as this year goes on, one of my goals this year is to put more content that's valuable there on Patreon. Um, just because like, I want to I add value to people that are, the, you know, because those are the people that are making it possible for the rest of us to have this show. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like all this free content, all this free content, which I love. Like it's, of course, you know, we're trying to we're trying to pump out, you know, messages of goodness and messages of love and messages of 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 possibility. But there are these people that are just like they go to work and they come home and they write a check or they send off the thing, and uh, and that's why we have a show. Right, right, right. Yeah. So they deserve it. And yeah. you know, it's interesting. It's it, it, I would love to see a part two with Roman. Because I think that's an interesting conversation. And I, well, you know what I really liked? I liked the tension between you guys and that it wasn't uh, hidden or disguised. Yeah. Like there, there was genuine like frustration on both of your parts. Do you know but what's it funny? Was, what's funny it, but is- it was expressed in a pretty like productive way, I thought. Oh, it was. It, no, it was great. And, and what's funny is like, obviously I was out there. We hung out when the baby was born. When when Maya was born to Miranda, and um, 
And then I came home and, 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 and like three days ago, he calls me and he says, Hey, I was just missing you. I just want to talk. And, uh, it was right at the end of the day of my day. And we ended up having, you know, a 90 minute phone call, which really was kind of part two of that conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not record that we didn't record it or anything, but like, what's funny is, is that we, we ended up in some really dark spaces, like where we really? were talking about like, yeah, like what happens in our economy when it used to be that our economy was kind of a mixture of some people made money with their brains and, and other people made money with their bodies. And we're, we're heading into a future where there's not going to be any work for the people that work with their bodies. Hmm. You know, like, like, like I, I've got a machine that can dig a hole faster than you right? or, or, you know, and, um, and we were talking about like what that means when people are at least economically insignificant, like they don't matter, they, they're un unnecessary is the right word. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it gets really dark in this conversation and, and, and we, we found a substantial amount of agreement and we were talking about how we respond to that and all that stuff. And at the end of it, at the end of the conversation, he goes like, he said, dude, he said, I feel like this, we have gotten, we have realized so much of where we're connected. But he said, if anybody heard what we were saying, it would end both of our careers. <laughs> you know, That's because funny. like, and, and, and I thought like I had a friend who was a negotiation expert and he used to say that you can't, like one of the rules of like labor management negotiations are, or, or, or like uh, political negotiations, like, like hostage situations is, is that you can't have anybody record them. Like there can be no record of them because he said, in order to get somewhere, sometimes people have to float an idea. Um, completely safely. Yeah. And, and, and know that nobody's going to go like, well, did you know that the president said that he would be willing to have like, like, what if we just gave up New Jersey and, and, and allowed that to become a, an independent country? And like, you can't like, but, but like, you know how you no, but what you're saying is true. And it, like as a documentary filmmaker, it's the bane of my life. The fact that when the cameras and lights and microphones go on, people clam up. They don't tell you what they were telling you before they went on in the exact same way. And, and, and part of the thing is like some of what I say, like I'm strat like in a, in a negotiation or in an argument, I like I'm going like. Well, I'd be willing to like let you kill all four of my children if it would save this, right? But like, it's all hypothetical. But like, if if the quote got out, my children, you know, those children would go like, "Dad said he'd be willing to kill us," you know. <laughs> and, and, and so, and, and so you can't you can't do that. No. Um, so anyway, but yeah, no. I mean, I'm I'm sure you know Roman is on a journey. Uh, both career-wise and and intellectually, that's really interesting to me. Not just no, it, it's it's interesting g generally. I think yeah. And there's yeah. something about Campolo father and son conversations <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of uh, you know that are kind of compelling to listen to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, but but I was glad that the Patreon people dug that. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think I think later on this month I'm I'm participating in this storytelling thing called True Theater here in Cincinnati. Yeah, it's that sounds of, really interesting. It's kind of like the moth, and 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 you know you you really do work up a story. Like it's not just like you just get up there and and and, and wing it. Like you craft the story with you work the, it out. 
yeah, with the director and they, they have iterations go back and forth and they, they hone it. Um, it's, it's so different than the kind of storytelling I usually do when I'm giving a talk where I'm just like off the hip, but I, I really like the story I'm going to tell. And, and we'll throw that up on Patreon. Um, as soon as, as soon as we're, as soon as the show happens. Perfect. All right. So yeah. And remember people like, you know, we would love it if you supported the show for like a billion dollars, but like, we would also love it if you supported the show for a buck a month, just so that we have people or five bucks a month, something just so that you have a little bit of skin in the game. And there's a sense in which, you know, you think, you know, you, you, you reflect the fact that you find the show valuable. You're in it with us. All right. Now you got a question? I do. Go for it. Our questioner says, I read an interview with Conan O'Brien in the New York Times that I found confusing. The interviewer asks him if he minds his career winding down with shows that get smaller and smaller until they're gone. Conan's reply really stuck with me. He says, quote, maybe that's okay. I think you have more of a problem with that than I do. At this point in my career, I could go out with a grand 21-gun salute and climb into a rocket and the entire Supreme Court walks out and they jointly press a button. I'm shot up into the air and there's an explosion and it's orange and it spells good night and God bless. (laughs) In this culture, two years later, it's going to be, who's Conan? This is going to sound grim, but eventually all our graves go unattended. And then the interviewer says, you're right, that does sound grim. And Conan replies... (laughs) Sorry, Calvin Coolidge was a pretty popular president. I've been to his grave in Vermont. It has the presidential seal on it. Nobody was there. And by the way, I'm the only late night host that has been to Calvin Coolidge's grave. I think that's what separates me from the other hosts. Which, I, which I'm sure he's tr- that's true. I'm sure that's true as well. I had a great conversation, he says, with Albert Brooks once. When I met him for the first time, I was kind of stammering. I said, you make movies. They live on forever. I just do these late night shows. They get lost. They're never seen again. And who cares? And he looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? None of it matters. None of it matters? No, that's the secret. In 1940, people said that Clark Gable is the face of the 20th century. Who thinks about Clark Gable? It doesn't matter. You'll be forgotten. I'll be forgotten. We'll all be forgotten. And Conan says it's so funny because you'd think that would depress me. I was walking on air after that. And our listener says, I wonder why Conan finds insignificance liberating and I find it depressing. And that's the question. That's a great question. I love that. I love that. I love that whole quote. Yeah, me too. And uh-huh. and it it's something we've talked about before on this podcast. The, the fact that individuals ultimately are insignificant. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, I think that's the thing. Like when the question says, I wonder why Conan finds insignificance liberating and I find it depressing. Mm-hmm. What Conan is talking about is ultimate insignificance. The fact that a hundred years from now, nobody will, nobody will remember you. He's not, I, I, I think, I think Conan would find day to day insignificance frustrating. Yeah. Like he wants to matter to somebody while he's around. He, I'm sure he wants to matter to his family. He wants to matter to his audience. He wants to matter. He, you know, he, I think Conan would be so depressed if like he told a joke and nobody laughed. Right. But ultimate, you know, the idea that Calvin Coolidge, the president of the United States, you know, has a grave somewhere in Vermont and nobody goes to see it. <laughs> and he was the president. 
And I, I swear to you, I swear to you, if I said to, you know, a dozen college students at the University of Cincinnati, who is Calvin Coolidge? I swear to you, many of them would not know he was a president of the United States. No, I think you're probably right. Yeah. I mean, have you ever done that? Like, have you ever been at a, a you know, like I, I was at a church once in, uh, in Scotland and it had all these plaques around it, you know, that were, you know, to the people, you know, memorial plaques. And I still remember there was this one big one that was like, you know, to, you know, Samuel McCready, may he never be forgotten. Just, you know, you know, 1847. And I'm thinking like nobody in this town knows who Samuel McCready was. I, th I think they forgot him. He is totally forgotten. And this plaque, <laughs> far from far from like ensuring his um, his immortality, it, it, it's it shines a light on his ultimate insignificance. Right, right, man. And it's so crazy. Well, and you can have this experience, you know, if at night you walk down Hollywood Boulevard and you're like, w you know, just walking on oh, stars. The stars. Yeah. And, and you realize that, you know, the, the star might've been put there, you know, 40 years ago or something. And no one's really paid all that much attention to it since. And certainly that whole hoopla all about it at the time is forgotten. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and I think that, and, and like the person who's asking the question here, you know, they're saying like, why does Conan find this liberating? And I find it depressing. And I think, I don't, it's funny. It reminded me of that internet meme where the, the blue, is the dress blue or gold? Oh yeah. You know, did you see that one? Yeah. And, and, and different people look at the exact same thing and they see it completely differently. And it turns out it has to do something that's going on in, you know, in your eyesight and your brain and the connection. There's a new one out that's audio. Have you heard this one, the, the Laurel oh, La versus Yanni? Laurel and Yanni. Yeah. Yeah. Which I love. I, it's funny because Marty and I had a young woman who lived with us for a year, lived with our family for a year um, when, in her 20s. And uh, this is back when we were in Philly. Um, she just needed, she needed a safe place to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she stayed with us and became really close to our family. And, and her name is Laura, but like Marty and Miranda sort of nicknamed her Laurel. <laughs> and so when this came up, I immediately sent it to her and she was like, I just hear Yanni. <laughs> um, but, but, but the idea that two people look at exactly the same thing and see something completely different. That's, I think that's what this, you know, that's what this Conan quote is sort of highlighting. I mean, I, I, and, and by the way, I love it that it's Albert Brooks that says to him, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. none of it matters. Like, I can just hear him saying it too. <laughs> me too. I like, yeah. Um, and, and by the way, like this will be a, a short inserted movie recommendation. Um, one of my favorite Albert Brooks movies is a very little known movie he made with Meryl Streep called Defending Your Life. I have not heard of that movie. Oh, it's, it's Albert, it, Albert Brooks dies and he ends up in this weird, um, like way station where they evaluate your life and decide whether you have faced your fear and overcome your fear enough that you should be allowed to move on to the next level of like humanity mm -hmm. or whether you have to be cast back to earth um, with what they call the little brains to try to work out your, your problems. And, and so they play clips of your life. It's like you're on trial defending your life. And it's, it's hilarious. It's, wow. and, and it's, it's kind of, and, and Meryl Streep is really funny in it. Like it's a kind of a neat movie. Cool. Um, so anyway, okay, so let's try to answer the question. Why does one person find it liberating 
and the other person find it depressing. And how should people look at it? Is there a should? Well, I, I mean, I think that there's only a should if you want to be happy. You, you, do you know what I mean? Like You want to be more like Conan. I, I think you do. But the question is, why does Conan find it liberating? And I think what happens is, I, I, I mean, it's funny. I had a very similar experience when I was talking with a, another person who had deconverted from evangelical Christianity. Mm -hmm. And he was saying it was so amazing for him. You know, he had spent so much of his time not just worried about his actions, but worried about his thoughts, like worried, like if he lusted after a woman or if he saw pornography or something like that. And, he, and, and I remember him saying like, it was so amazing to realize that somebody's salvation didn't hinge on whether or not I jacked off last night. Right. And, and I, I understood that. Like there's some sense in which when you are, when your every thought connects with God and when you know, the, the salvation of other people depends on whether or not you're faithful or not, or whether you do God's will in the world. Like it's a lot of pressure to have the God of the universe. Absolutely. Look, looking over your shoulder all the time. Yeah. I, Santa Claus is bad enough. You know, he knows <laughs> when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. There's nothing creepy about that. Good or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like, I mean, I, and I think, you know, parents invented Santa Claus or that part of Santa Claus for the same reason I think that you know, tribes way back invented deities. Right. Um, and that is like, if I can convince you that there's somebody watching you at all times, it's, it's, it's a great way to exercise social control. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, de a definite liberation from that. But I think what, what, you know, I think what really, it's funny because I have a friend who comes from a very strong immigrant family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, do you remember that book, the 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 fight song of the tiger mother, like the the one oh, where the yeah. Asian woman was talking about, like why she pushes her kids so hard in school and in academic and in and in extracurriculars, like they will be successful, right, right. Um, and and you know, a lot of immigrant families have that immigrant mentality because they're trying to survive, and yep. and 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 and, and if you don't achieve you won't make it, right? Right. And I think that what happens is, is that people that are in an achievement orientation, like, you know, like that are trying to get ahead, I think for them, um, it's like you compete and you win. You have to win at things or else you die. It's like win or die. Yeah get into this college or, or, or perish, you know, like get, get this job or, or perish. And I think that that way of thinking is really helpful when you're trying to survive. But once you've risen to a certain level, trying to win at everything, I, I think it is a real problem. Cause, cause I know what uh, you uh, mean. You just keep, cause there's always, there's always somebody better than you. There's always somebody above you. And so like, when can you ever be satisfied? When can you ever enjoy your life if you're always trying to secure your life? Yeah. And, and America, to me, as an immigrant, as someone who came here from, from not a country where it was sort of sink or swim necessarily, but, you know, a country with a strong safety net and everything, 
And so maybe, you know, I didn't have that same sort of survivalist mentality. But, you know, as someone looking sort of from the outside and, and learning American culture, it is a very much kind of fake it till you make it hustling, you know, get try to get everything has to be on the upswing all the time. And you want to, and everybody's like, I want to do something that matters. I want to leave. I want to make a mark. I want to be remembered. You know, that's what I think the Conan O'Brien quote is like, don't you want to be remembered? Don't you like, like he looks at Albert Brooks and goes, you've made movies that will live on. Like you'll, you know, long after you're dead, you'll be remembered. And Albert Brooks is like, is like, you gotta be kidding. Calvin Coolidge isn't remembered. Winston Churchill won't be remembered. Yeah, not really. And he was super important. Saved the world. Saved, saved the world. Right. But most people don't spend all that much time thinking about Winston Churchill. Most no. people. Yeah. No. Even today. And it was not that long ago. So, so what I think is, it, it's a little bit like in, in evolution for 10,000 years or whatever, 10 million years, whatever it is, human beings like, if you could get a hold of something with, that had fat or sugar in it, you should grab it and eat as much of it as you can. That stuff is rare. And it's important and you got to get as you want to build up the fat because like there, there may be famine about to come. So like instinctually, we became creatures that crave fat and sugar. So and that instinct was perfect until about 100 years ago. And then the situation changes and we figure out how to make food abundant. And, you know, and, and there's McDonald's and Burger King and all this. And now... That same instinct is at the root of the obesity crisis and it's threatening to kill us. What, what, what I think is, is that when you are like, got to win, got to win, got to achieve, got to get there, you know, it's that you become a person that's all about the destination. You're like, we'll sacrifice anything to get to this goal. You become incredibly goal oriented, right? And goal orientation is really important for survival. Um, but what happens is what happens once your survival is insured is that you have to shift to kind of like enjoying the journey. You got to stop being so destination oriented and you got to say like, no, like, because ultimately in life, there is like at the end of the life, there is no destination. Like you die, it's over. And, 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 and even if you achieved greatness, it gets forgotten. So even if you were like, I don't mind if I die as long as I'm remembered, even that's going to go away. So if there's no destination, then really it's all about the journey. And I think that for a lot of people, they're still in survival thinking. Um, and and one of the one of the luxuries of civilization, or one of the luxuries of 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 yeah of civilization, is that we're free to reflect on the meaning of our lives. I don't think most people that are in, that are in survival mode, they're not really thinking about meaning. Like, like wh- who am I? What do I really want? You know, like I want to live. Like it's the most basic instinct. I want like to live. But once you have secured your life, that's when there's this new opportunity um, to ask, Okay, now I'm good. How do I flourish? How do I make the most of it? How do I enjoy the life that I have secured or that my my tribe has secured for me? 30 years ago, I read an article on the back page of a Sports Illustrated magazine in a 
in a doctor's waiting room mm-hmm. that utterly changed my, my life. And, you know, it's, and it was an article about a chess teacher named Bruce Pandolfini, um, who, if you've ever seen the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer, he's the chess teacher that they made that movie about. So in the article, what happens is if the article is written by this, this guy, an older man who's reflecting on when he was a kid taking chess lessons from Pandolfini. Mm-hmm. And he was like a teenager and he was really good at chess and he was moving up the ladder of chess. And he was like, he's dreaming of being what they call the next Bobby Fischer. Like, you know, he, you know he, he was really excited about his chess stuff. But when he was in his teens, at some point, Pandolfini had a new student that he added who was seven years old and was a phenom, like just unbelievably gifted, um, a savant. And at one point in the story, they're at the chess club with all the old men, you know, people are playing chess games in New York City. And Panofini comes in with the kid to because to, to, the kid needs a game and no one will play him hmm. because all the older guys are like, if I beat him, I've beaten a seven-year-old. If he beats me, I got beat. Like, I can't win here. So nobody wants to play the kid. And finally, in desperation, Pandolfini comes over to his his teenage student. He says, please, please, he needs a game. Will you please play him? And so the teenager sits down and everybody gathers around to watch. And the guy says, as soon as we started playing, I realized I was over my head. I mean- I was just fighting for my life through the whole game. And he said, chess, if you know anything about like t- tournament level chess, it's a physically exhausting game. Like, yeah. you, know, you know, people are just white. This game goes on for hours. And, and the guy says, at one point I made a move. And he said, I'm looking across the table at this kid. His feet don't even touch the ground. And, and he's like swinging his feet and I make a move and he giggled. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> you thought that was a good move? <laughs> and he said- a few, you know, a few plays later, you know, I, I lost. And, uh, and he said, I was crushed. You know, I just, I just, what I just. humbling experience. I just sank in my chair. And he said, Pandolfini came over to me at that point and put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, I am so proud of you. He said, that was a great game. That was a deep, well thought. I mean, a noble game. I am so proud of you. I hope you're proud of yourself. And the guy says, at that moment, I realized that Pandolfini wasn't teaching me about chess. It wasn't teaching me to play chess so that I was going, so that I could be the best player in the world. The reality is there will always, there's, even if I was great, there was always going to be somebody better than me. Right. Like he was trying to teach me about chess, not so that I could be the best in the world, but so that I could appreciate the game. Right. So that I could understand it well enough that when I saw a game well played, I could enjoy it from both sides. Mm. Like it was, it was a, I needed to develop a certain amount of excellence at it, but, but excellence wasn't the, it wasn't the end. Excellence was the, 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 the bridge to understanding, to, to, to wonder, to appreciation, you know? And, and I think that's what, like if, you know, and, and it's funny because then he reflected, I, I'll just finish the story is that he says, you know, 30, you know, five years later, that little kid had quit chess for all of his technical brilliance. He didn't love the game. Mm-hmm. 
but he said, I'm 40 years old and I still play. Yeah. And I still think it's wonderful. And I, you know, and I, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's life. Yeah. Like, and so this whole business of like, I'm going to, I'm going to change the world or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get my name on a hospital or I'm going to, you know, earn a million dollars. And I go like, it's not that, it's not that it's wrong to want to be good at life, but the point of being good at life is not that you're going to beat it. Nobody wins. Everybody dies. Everybody's forgotten. The point is you want to play well because the more you, the better you are at living, the more you'll appreciate what a wonder life itself is. The universe is amazing. And so like every scientist I know says, yeah, yeah, that's the reason you do science is not because like you will like discover you you will figure out the whole universe it's that by learning like by 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 pursuing new knowledge you come to a greater appreciation of of just how vast and mysterious and wonderful it is i love that so what what uh practically can people do to sort of adopt that posture well i i think like what conan o'brien would say or what albert brooks would say is the first thing to, to do, the first rule of the game is to recognize that nobody wins. Nobody gets remembered. Like you don't matter. The game matters. The game goes on. Life matters. The universe matters. And, and, and I don't want to say matters, but like that's, that's the only thing that, that, that like that, that continues on. And so consciousness matters, as Roman would say. And so you, you're getting, you know, your life is really your opportunity to appreciate life itself. And, and so like, I think the first step is just to kind of put it in perspective. It's kind of like a, a, a lesson in humility where you go like, you will enjoy your whole life a whole lot more if you can recognize that it doesn't, it doesn't have any ultimate significance. Mm. It's only significant to you and to the people that you love. You matter yeah. a great deal to the people that you love. Like you, you have, in, you have incredible, um, it, it, imminent significance. Like, right. you know, like in, in the moment you have huge significance, but like, you know, that, that I think that, so I, th I think well, that, that just definitely, that, that, that definitely perspective puts, helps. Yeah. And it definitely puts relationships at the heart of life. From that perspective. Right. Because right. you can't matter to history. No. You can't matter to possibly, but you can matter to your little, to, to, to your little cousin. You can matter to your wife. You can matter, you, you can matter to the guy at the store. Like you can change his life in that moment, but you can't change the universe at all, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people say, oh, but what, what about Steve Jobs? He invented the Apple computer. And I go like, yeah, you, if Steve Jobs had never lived, do you think there wouldn't be a laptop on my desk? <laughs> someone else I mean, would have done it. Someone else would have done it. Like, oh, without Alexander Graham Bell, we wouldn't be able to talk to each other. Are you kidding me? Right. So, so the wonder of being Alexander Graham Bell should be that because you were so smart and, and clever, like you got to see that happened. You got to understand something about light and sound and, and, and people and business that, you know, is amazing. Like lucky you, Alexander, but like not lucky universe that we had him. 
The universe doesn't care about Alexander Graham Bell or you or me. And so understanding that sort of like, I think it's like flips the perspective and goes like, oh, this is not about make me making myself so that I will be celebrated by the universe. This is about me gaining a perspective that enables me to celebrate the universe and to be in it and my opportunity to be in it. Uh, am, am I making sense to you? Yeah, it's, it's really good. You know, Conan said, he said, it's so funny because you'd think that would depress me. I was walking on air after that realization. And I think that's hard to, my guess is it came at a time in Conan's life and work and career and everything where he really needed to hear that new perspective that you're talking about. Yeah. And I guess we all have our moments where we're like maybe ripe to hear it more than other moments. But, uh, yeah. You know, maybe this, yeah. yeah. And maybe, and maybe like in some sense with Albert Brooks, I mean, Albert Brooks didn't finish the thought with them, but I think the end of the thought is so smell the roses. Like they're going to die and you're going to die and nobody's going to remember either one of you. So smell them now. Mm-hmm. Notice, pay attention. Pay attention. Like, pay it. Like, if you have a good meal, stop. Pay it. Like, like sometimes I'll be eating so fast, and Marta say to me, "Are you even tasting that food?" Because, mm-hmm. because, like, that's really good food. You should taste it. And and this you know, is the, this is a little bit Sam Harris meditation territory too. I know oh, yeah. a lot of people who have started their new year by using his app, uh, and I'm one of them. And it, it, it's very much about sort of being in the present moment. Very much about like not looking at the future all the time and not thinking about the past and what you can't change or yeah. what you can change. It's all about like right now, here and now and maximizing the present moment. And I'm sure that's true. And yet I still can't promote Sam Harris's thing because he has 4 billion Patreon supporters and, <laughs> and, 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 and his show is funded to eternity and we have a hundred. And so like, I'm not sending anyone to Sam Harris because no. like, what if they like his podcast better than ours? <laughs> yeah. That sounded like a very goal oriented thing to say. <laughs> hey, I, I got one thing. I, I just thought of this and, 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 and I think, I know we have to wrap this up and, and, and um, I've got a poem for you. Okay. I just thought of it and I pulled, I pulled it out. Um, because I had a conversation with somebody not unlike the one we're having now, and and I had ju- and I had just come across this guy on uh, on being on being that podcast. His na- name is David White, and he read this poem. And it, it and, and well, I'll just read it to you. It's called "Everything Is Waiting for You." Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone, as if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness to the tiny hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely even you at times have felt the grand array, the swelling presence and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. So so he's sort of saying like, the mistake you make is you're acting like you're here all by yourself. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But it's like you're surrounded. And you're like surrounded by what? And then go, I love the I love where he goes. He goes, you must note the way the soap dish enables you or the window latch grants you freedom. 
alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. I love that line. I love that. Is the hidden discipline of familiarity? Th- think about it in a marriage. That that's not that wouldn't be a bad thing to to to, to think about in terms of a marriage or a relationship. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and invite you. And the tiny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. The cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last. All the birds and creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything is waiting for you. Yeah. I think that the gift of understanding our ultimate insignificance is recognizing that in the present, we are surrounded by people and by things and by, and by questions and by beauty. And if we are smart, we stop trying to get somewhere um, when the grave tells us that there's nowhere really to go. Um, and we start trying to enter the conversation with the people and the things that are around us and to notice. I think a lot of this is about, can you just stop trying to be significant and notice the world in which you find yourself? So good. All right. So this, I, I like... This this is such a John and Bart conversation. It is, and and I tell you, I I think that uh, we're far from done with this topic. Like this is an ongoing conversation. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And like when you say this is an ongoing, I want it to be like, hey, humanize me, people. Like it's ongoing with all of us. Like if there's a song, send it to me. If there's if there's a a, a movie clip, yeah. Anything that sort of, anything that sort of amplifies or reflects on the idea that our recognizing our ultimate insignificance frees us up to deeply pursue our immediate our, our immediate significance and the immediate significance of the world to us like send it my way because i love it yeah and i love you john love you all right man we're out of here i'll talk to you next time thanks bart For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at humanize me pod on Twitter and humanize me podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search humanize me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. You could be larger than life.